Good evening everyone, and Happy New Year! I hope you all had a quality festive period, whether you were with family and friends or just doing your own thing. I did a bit of everything myself, I stayed a few days with some close friends of mine, uh, saw my parents for a few days as well of course, and my grandma actually spent the Christmas with us, which was amusing in a few different ways. Usually, we have a tradition of watching the Harry Potter films together, just me and my parents, um, but with my grandma there, it was a bit difficult. Unfortunately, we only made it two films in before it was pretty clear that she just wasn't enjoying it. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but she made it quite visible by just falling asleep during the film, so we didn't want to put her through any more of the pain and... We even tried sticking on something else. And yeah, we put on the new Indiana Jones film, but even that put her to sleep, which is quite confusing because we knew that she enjoyed the, the old films, the ones that were out in uh, I think the 70s and 80s. But yeah, she's not a fan of the new stuff. Maybe it's just modern technology, CGI and all that. Um, but I guess it's just that generation, who knows? But anyway... With the second half of Poetic Plonk underway, by second half I mean second half of the season, there's some very, very interesting episodes coming, because I've got a couple of different episode ideas that I'd very much like to experiment with, so do feel free and go and turn on the podcast notifications to keep up to date with each new episode that's released. So, with all the housekeeping out of the way, let's get into episode 11. So this week, we'll be exploring a poem that basically explores the importance of communication and just not bottling up various feelings and emotions that we might have. The poem was written by the famed poet William Blake. And Blake was born all the way back in November in 1757, and he was a well-known poet, painter, and hailed as a visionary. And back in those days, to be a writer and have a career in the literature field, you'd often have to be born into a wealthy family, as they could often afford to send you to schools where this was taught. And poorer families at the time simply didn't have easy access to what are now considered basic human rights, such as education and healthcare. Now, even though he wasn't born into a wealthy family, he certainly wasn't born into a poor family either. Let's just say a moderate and comfortable family. Blake's father was a hosier. Those are people who sell stockings. I guess now it's not really a hugely or lucrative, widespread job around the world. And Blake had five other siblings, but he was closest to his youngest brother, Robert, who unfortunately died at a very young age. Now, I did mention that to be a skilled writer at the time, you'd need to be well-educated, but... Blake actually enjoyed the thrills of skipping school and rather took pleasure in ambling around through the streets of London and the surrounding countryside. So, I guess you could argue that the sights of London would put quite a significant impression upon a young man that Blake was at that time, which will in turn have definitely influenced his writing and artistic style later on in his career. And Blake's parents caught on to his artistic finesse and flair at a very young age. And at the age of 10, Blake was enrolled at Parse's Drawing School in London. And interestingly, only four years later, his parents actually decided that the art school he was going to was actually prohibitive rather than 
expressive. It didn't enable him to bloom as a painter. And Blake's parents consequently sent him on an apprenticeship to a well-respected engraver of the time, William Ryland. Now, why his parents decided to make him pivot from being a painter to an engraver, I'm not quite sure, but it's definitely an interesting career change, or actually education change, I guess. But unfortunately, Blake wasn't a fan of the apprenticeship, and more specifically, William Ryland. He told his parents that Ryland seemed like the type of guy who looked like he was living to be hanged. Now, I mention this because, interestingly enough, 12 years later, William Ryland did indeed hang himself. And with Blake not being a fan of Ryland, his parents ended up sending him to a different engraver called James Bessire. And seven years later, Blake left Bessire's apprenticeship and following a stint at the Royal Academy, which is the oldest art academy in Great Britain, Blake began earning his living as a journeyman engraver. And this would mean that booksellers around the country would employ him to engrave illustrations for them and for various publications, such as very notable novels like Don Quixote and also Ladies Magazine. And shortly after Blake's career began, he experienced an event that affected him severely and would go on to change his career. In the summer of 1780, riots broke out across London, incited by an anti-Catholic preacher, Lord George Gordon, as they were protesting against the ongoing war against colonial Americans. And one evening, after work, Blake came across a group of these protesters who were in the process of burning down Newgate Prison, now, the raw images that Blake experienced at that time through his own eyes went on to influence two of his most influential pieces called Europe, published in 1794, and America, published in 1793. And apart from Blake's lyricism, what makes his poems so special is the way in which he published his poems. Blake designed a series of plates enabling his writing to be illuminated when printed, essentially enabling his poems to come to life. And one of his most well-known poems, Jerusalem, consists of 100 illuminated plates, in which Blake explores the mythology of a man's fall, followed by his redemption. And overall, if we look back on Blake's career, we can see that he strived for change in social issues, and also a change in men's mindsets through his poetry, which is exactly what we'll explore today in his poem, A Poison Tree. Now, this poem didn't just strive for change within men's mindsets, but I'd say overall, a change for everyone's mindsets. And like many artists and writers, Blake's works weren't famous or loved during his lifetime, but posthumously after his death. Now, however, Blake is widely considered to be one of the shining stars of English poetry, with his works continually growing in popularity. And therefore, today's episode will shine a light on one of his poetic works. So, without further ado, this is A Poison Tree by William Blake. I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath. My wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not, my wrath did grow. And I watered it in fears, night and morning with my tears. And I sunned it with smiles, 
and with soft deceitful wiles. And it grew, both day and night, till it bore an apple bright. And my foe beheld it shine, and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole, when the night had veiled the pole. In the morning glad I see, my foe outstretched beneath the tree. Now, first things first, this poem is quite clearly written in very, very old English, meaning that some parts are slightly harder to unravel than others, but we can give it a go. And firstly, what jumps out to me is what Blake conveys to us in the very first stanza where he talks about his anger with a friend, but not with a foe, aka an enemy. Blake goes on to emphasise that his anger grows, due to him bottling the anger up and letting it grow both day and night, as he says in the poem. And what we can see here is that the first overarching theme of this poem is anger, but more importantly, suppressing emotions. Blake emphasises his disagreement with the suppression of anger, as it just leads to internal conflict, but also that it could lead to dangerous consequences, such as anger or even violence. And this is presented through two different examples where he talks about his wrath with a friend and wrath with a foe. But what I think the takeaway here is, is that Blake states that being honest and open causes the anger to disappear. He mentions, I told my wrath, my wrath did end, showing that if you're open and honest, this anger will not build up inside of you. And Blake details this other side of things in his example of a foe. And by using the imagery of the garden, where he's essentially watering his anger, it enables the negative emotions to continue to escalate inside him, and essentially be self-perpetuating by constantly snowballing, and the character in the poem increases in anger. And Blake's use of sunning also gives connotations of morbid pleasure or schadenfreude that he takes in his foe's suffering. And with the anger continuing to self-perpetuate and involve within the character, and the apple tree consequently continuing to grow, it eventually causes a poisoned apple to be grown. And at the end of the poem... The character is happy with the outcome of his enemy lying dead below the tree, just showing how much power the emotion of anger holds over people. And therefore, Blake's poem states a very, very strong argument in favour of opening up and talking about your emotions, whatever they may be, whether it is anger or not. Because if they're left unchecked, then it could lead to fairly harmful consequences, whether that's mental, which is obviously quite severe, but they could also be physical consequences where someone else may also get hurt. Personally, I think it does always seem like the obvious thing to do, which is to open up, but in some cases, it actually is the hardest thing to do, which is why I think it can be so difficult, because we often want to do the easiest things in life that take little effort and can exactly just be done with ease. And whether it's difficult because you're worried about the consequences on a friendship that it might have when opening up, 
or just because it's much easier to let things unsaid and bottle these emotions up. I think we realize that in most cases this isn't the smartest thing to do, but it also doesn't mean that it makes it any easier to open up. But this goes to show just how timeless Blake's poem is, because this poem very much still rings true today. And no matter the time, manner, place, or who you are, it's always important to let things said rather than unsaid. And no one can truly say what's going to happen in a given situation. So go ahead and just let it out. And I'd like to end this episode with a wee bit of analysis of the symbolism in the poem, and more specifically, the significance of the apple being used. Now, I briefly touched upon this earlier, but I believe it needs more of a spotlight focused on the symbolism, as the apple represents the manifestation and consequences of the untouched anger that is suppressed within. And in this sense, the apple becomes the fruit of the character's internal labour that has caused the tree to grow. Now, quite clearly, it's not a, a healthy fruit in this sense that has been grown, but rather a poisonous apple. Now, poison apples can be applied to various different contexts in life. In business, a poison apple is often that person at work who might cause the culture to decline and essentially be poisonous. But it can also be someone in your life who may be dragging your mental health down or just leaving you with little motivation to do things with them or other groups of people. But I also read an interesting analysis that said that the apple being grown is also a sign that the anger has taken on its own life, as it can also be seen by the character's enemy in the poem, meaning that this isn't now just internal anger, but it's got a life of its own, meaning that other people can see your anger being manifested. And personally, I think this is a very clear example of what does happen in life. Now, albeit the apple growing and being a physical poison apple is quite clearly a metaphor, but other people can often see our emotions if we're angry with something or angry with someone. Even if we're not explicitly saying something to them, our mannerisms and body language often convey our true emotions, meaning that it is better to just open up. But to go back to the fact that in the poem, the poisoned apple goes on to have a life of its own, it's also important to state here that the apple then has the ability to harm and poison others as well. And therefore, another link can be made here. Now, when you think of a poisoned apple, you might often think back to the story of Adam and Eve, specifically the symbolism of the apple that Eve eats from the tree of knowledge in the Bible story. And the apple that Eve eats also has negative consequences, as I've mentioned, as it forces humanity to be thrown out of paradise and invites sin into our world. And in that sense, the symbolism of the apple in this poem can very much be seen as allegory, as it conveys a moral hidden meaning. As we've discussed, the moral hidden meaning in this sense is the poisoned apple and the fact that the anger grows and has a life of its own in the poem, and that you shouldn't internalize the anger and suppress these emotions, but open up. So, I hope this episode has not only shown the importance of talking about emotions, but has also dived into the exploration a bit deeper if you enjoyed the deeper analysis, then please do let me know. 
as I'm aiming to continue more on that in future episodes. And also, do let me know which part of the podcast you enjoy the most, whether it's the background analysis or even just the reading of the poem itself. So this brings us to the end of episode 11 of Poetic Plonk. And once again, thanks for tuning in. On that note, I'd like to wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I'll see you on the next one.